The lectionary reading today comes from the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John in this chapter in particular uh, has a number of different scenes in different locations. So as you listen to this, it, it almost might feel like a play because they, they meet in one place with one group and another place with another group and another with another. So uh, listen for that flow as it comes to us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, listen for the word of the Lord. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed, and he came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, it's someone who looks like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, well, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said he is a prophet. The Jewish leaders did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's old enough, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. But the Jewish leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know if he was a sinner. 
One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the beginning of the world has anyone heard of anyone's eyes being opened who had been blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered him, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say, we see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John tells long stories. <clears throat> That's his way. He draws you into this long narrative because the story is the message. Jesus calls us to serve. And I think that sometimes puts us in touch with our story. Uh, our honor is to serve in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it was about 45 years ago, I was called to a distinct service. I was given the distinct honor of serving as an orderly in a nursing home. <laughs> I was there all summer. Uh, and it was our task to take care of about 55 adult men who had various conditions that left them in need of full-time care. Uh, it was a lesson in humility in so many ways for me. I remember the first day. I was hired at 9 o'clock in the morning, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd gone out and I got my orderly uniform. I had on my white shirt, my white pants, my white socks, my white shoes. I looked good. <clears throat> and then discovered that in the tasks that, that I would do with these men, one of the things that I would be called to do would be to serve them dinner. Uh, so we passed out all the trays, and, uh, but there were some folks who could not feed themselves. So that was our task to, to feed the people. And I was, uh, I was tasked with feeding Mr. Baldwin, a delightful man who was blind. Uh, after, his, after supper, each day he would raise his head to the darkness and, and he would call out in my general direction, uh, coffee boy, I, I want a cup of coffee. And uh, I was not a coffee drinker, so the first time I served him, I, I didn't have 
uh, much of an idea of what to do. I, I got the cup of coffee and I raised it to his lips and his, I remember his lip kind of reaching out and searching in the darkness for the coffee and he was able to slurp and spew more coffee than was in the cup itself. It was a fountain of coffee that came out all over my white uniform down to my shoes. And Mr. Baldwin said to me, boy, that's hot coffee. <laughs> Mr. Baldwin taught me something about caretaking right then and there, a valuable lesson, an experience I never have forgotten. He taught me about compassion and thinking about the needs of the people around you. Blind man in this story has an experience, an experience in the darkness, an experience of Jesus that somehow is best described as this encounter with the light. Scene one, the man with no sight, no vision. Jesus spits in the mud. Isn't that dramatic? Jesus spitting in the mud and wiping it on his eyes and, and then from telling him, go wash off in the pool called sent. Names always have a meaning in the Bible. Jesus was sent. He tells him, go to the pool called sent. But, but we are also sent as disciples, as the baptized. We are the ones who receive sight. That's part of our baptism experience that we're given vision. This man was given vision because Jesus was sent to him and he's sent to the world. This passage overall is a passage about suffering. In this world, there's a whole lot of people when they see someone who is suffering, they get very judgmental. And they say it must be their fault that they're suffering. It must be their fault or their parents or their people people that are in poverty. They get blamed a lot, we blame the victim. People that, that, that are experiencing oppression, we say, well, it must be their fault. People that have some sort of condition, some sort of medical condition, well, they must have not eaten right, they must have not. There's all sorts of ways that we blame. And yet, look what Jesus does. He does not blame anybody. Rather, he says, this is an opportunity to show God's grace. Which when you stop and think about it is a radical way of being in the world. In a world that loves to blame people, to turn people into outcasts, to somehow place ourselves above people, we see someone in need, someone suffering, and, and the response that Jesus models for us is, this is an opportunity to show God's love. This is an opportunity to show God's grace. The authorities, of course, can't, can't wrap their minds around this. Um, and and they, keep, uh, they keep questioning this man, questioning him again. Uh, Edward Skillebex uh, is a theologian that, that I think is, is profound. And, and one of the ways he describes the difference between darkness and light, he says, when you see in the Gospel of John images of, of darkness, it is a way of talking about the negativity in the world and that Jesus brings this divine positivity, this divine possibility. It's a something not just of a physical change, but a mental conversion. A mental conversion to see the world 
through the eyes of Christ, to see the world through the love of Christ, to see the world anew. Jesus gives us a whole different way of thinking about the world that does not include that judgmentalism that turns people into outcasts. Jesus doesn't buy into all the vested interests who don't want to change things like those people that he encountered in the religious institution of his day. Because if they had to change things, they'd have to treat people differently. They'd have to reprioritize their lives. They'd have to reprioritize their stock portfolio. They didn't want to change. They had vested interests. And they denied that this had happened, that there was this kind of possibility even in the world. Jesus brings light to some that do not want to see an uncomfortable truth. When Jesus brings this uncomfortable truth, it is amazing to look at this story against all these vested interests and, and the angry voices who do not want any change. And there is this courageous little Jewish man who keeps on telling the truth about the light that has come to him. And he will not be intimidated. The voices of negativity say louder and louder, it is not permitted. They have their universal no. But this little man, this little man who used to sit in the gutter and look up at them and as, uh, in his blindness and, and, and beg, now he doesn't do that anymore. He says to their loud and boisterous no, he says a relentless yes. It's God's yes of a new possibility, a new world, a new day. What's interesting in this story is that he was so changed that people thought it was somebody else. How changed does that have to be? They can't believe it's the same person. What happened to that mealy-mouthed, quiet little guy who never gave us any problems? He has changed. There has come this enlightenment. Some might call it a conversion. At the very least, a conversion of consciousness. The parents don't have that. They're afraid. They're intimidated. They're part of the system, the social system. They've got those vested interests. They don't want to be driven out of their church. They don't want to be kicked out of their country club. They don't want to be snubbed at Starbucks. They don't want to be blotted out of the social register. They don't want people to not smile at them on Facebook. But when you stand up for truth, this story shows when you stand up for truth, you may lose friends. You may lose family. You may lose social status. But it's part of walking into the light, the true light that can truly transform the world. And it doesn't matter if you have the threat of being ostracized or overlooked or scorned or scurred or scowled at or disdained, despised, disparaged, dissed or de detested. This man who was born blind now lives in the light. The leaders keep pushing him, browbeating him, taunting him, but the man has changed. He has changed forever. Now he will no longer take their abuse. Now he's standing up to them. He's at the table and talking back. He's no longer a shrinking violet. And dripping with irony, he says when they keep on asking about Jesus, he says, why do you keep on asking about Jesus? Do you want to be part of the new member class? The man with new sight, new insight, a new sense of self. 
It's clear he has a new sense of self. That's the enlightenment that Jesus has given to him. And notice Jesus doesn't pass judgment on people. It's the people around him that pass judgment. The people around him who pass judgment. And when they pass judgment on him, they pass judgment on themselves. That they want to be lost in the darkness rather than people of the light. It's a willful blindness of not wanting to open up to the love that God intends for the world. This is a passage about belief, that our beliefs can blind us, or that belief in Christ, which has to do with a growing sense of, of, of walking into the light and discovering that all, all that God has to give to us is something that, that can be so profound that it gives us this <clears throat> existential sense of courage that even in the face of suffering, the most profound suffering in this passage, the, the blindness, the, the darkness, even in, even in the darkness, there is this profound sense of courage that the light of Christ has come to him. Now notice the Gospel of John never writes about a flawless universe. John does not write about miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. You know there's some churches out there that they act like that's what God is all about. But that's not what's in the scripture. God doesn't come away and take, take away all of our problems. God lets us walk in the light so we have the courage to be even in the face of those problems. This is about being open to God's light, God's initiative which may not be in conformity with what we've experienced before. It may not be in conformity with our religious traditions. It may not be in conformity with our families. But it is about a light that keeps on lighting, enlightening us so that we grow in this grace and love. Harvard's chaplain, uh, Peter Gomes, was once asked for his definition of the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, what, it was asked, what, what's the definition of the good news? And he immediately shot back, it means you don't have to be as you are. You don't have to be as you are. This is a passage of a man who does not end up being who he used to be. He's no longer trapped in his traditions. He's no longer trapped in his fear. He's no longer trapped into to seeing himself as others wanted him to be beaten down. But he's on a new trajectory, a new walk, a new path, Jesus brings him to the light. And that light can look at uncomfortable things and promise the possibility of transformation and change. At the heart of things, the light of Christ changes things. This may be unnerving, destabilizing, and even frightening to those who don't understand what's going on. But we can rely on God to help us live in the light. Jesus believes that people brought to the light can find the courage to be, the courage to live, the courage to love. Jesus believes that human beings truly are capable of radical change. Even when we do not rise to the occasion, Jesus never gives up on us. The story of the Gospels, the disciples, they miss the point again and again and again. But Jesus keeps on bringing the light until they finally see. And what we know is, both from the scriptural 
witness and from the experience that we've seen of people who walk in the light, when people step into Christ's courage to be, when they step into the light to truly love, well, people like that can only be described as a miracle. Amen.